Good morning. This is a beautiful spring day the Lord has given to us. Barbara and I have much to thank God for. Within three weeks, we hope to be sending the New Testament off to the publishers. And uh, then in July, we should have the New Testament back in the trio language. We want to take this time to thank all of you who've had a part in that and all of you who've come to help us. Uh, we just uh, are real grateful. Personally, we don't know just what the Lord uh, has for us in the uh, days ahead. We kind of feel that a change, uh, he's got some change for us. We've kind of come to a milestone after being 24 years in South America, and then now he's brought us back here to complete this job. Uh, very much we'd like to go back and live with the Indians. Maybe he'll do that. We still have some needs here of our children's schooling. So I wish that you would continue to pray for us, that we would do the will of God. We're available to him, and, uh, and uh, we want to do it, and I know he'll lead us but we just don't know what the future is. Now this morning I want to speak to you from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, starting in verse 16, we have a little background to this portion. Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he was at Thessalonica, and there he received very fierce opposition, and uh, he moved on to, or rather, yes, at Thessalonica, then he went on to Berea, and there he found a great response, but uh, the Jews from Thessalonica pursued him, and uh, so Paul went on to Athens alone. And he got to this great city of Athens, and there he saw uh, it wholly given to idolatry. There were idols all over the place. And he came upon one idol that, to the unknown God, lest they'd left out one of their gods, uh, he, they made up an idol to cover the unknown God. Now, Paul went to, you might say, the, one of the highest uh, educational and uh, societies in the world uh, at that time. God called us to quite another type of people. Maybe those that are on the other end of the scale. But so many things in this portion of Scripture parallels what we've seen God do down among the Indians in South America. I want to read a few verses. Let's start with verse 22 and uh, read through verse 34. I'm reading from the New International Version. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and observed your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. 
And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. As I said, this was one of the highest societies of the day, and yet they were an idolatrous people. They had idols all over the city. When we went to the Indians of South America, we didn't see churches on every riverbank. Uh, we didn't see the signs of what you would call Christian uh, religion. But as we got to know these people, we did see that they too were a very religious people. Here in Athens, there was gods of stone and iron. Down amongst the Indians, there were bones, chips of wood, and little rocks. These were the gods of our uh, Indians. You know, God has made man that there's a vacuum, there's a, there's a, a God-shaped place in the heart of man that only God can fill. And if God doesn't fill that place in your heart or my heart, we're going to reach out to something. And that's what they did at Athens, and that's what they did uh, down amongst the Indians as well. Now, in verse 24, we have Paul's introduction to who God is. God who made the world and everything in it. Seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. <laughs> who is God? God who made the world. Twice Paul preached to heathen people. When he preached to the Jews, he always said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the 14th chapter of Acts and in the 17th year, where he preached to a people who had no background of God, he started out, God who made the world. You know, that's where we had to start with the Indian. We had to go back to some place, some common grounds that we had with them. Oh, they believed in a God who made them. We believed in a God who made them. Their God was very much different than the God of the Bible. But that's where we had to start. And we said, we've come to tell you about the God who's made us. They didn't even have a name. 
for our God. They had a name for their God. But we introduced uh, the name of God to them. And then we had to build into their way of thinking what God was like. And that's what Paul did here. God who made the world and everything in it, seeing he is Lord of heaven and of earth. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He made these things. Then Paul knocks down a couple of false impressions that people have about God. Notice two things about it here. He's not, he does not live in houses made by men's hands, and he's not served by men's hands. You know, this is religion. They make houses for their gods. They make gods to go in the houses, and they serve their God. But Paul here is saying that the God of the Bible is not like that. The God of the Bible is one who ministers to us, who serves us. He sustains us. We don't sustain God. You know, if we weren't born, God would go on. And even if we don't commit ourselves to him, God's purpose is going to continue. And now we have the privilege of giving ourselves to him and fitting in with his purpose. But he doesn't have to fit in with our purpose because he's God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And so he doesn't need anything from you and I. It's you and I that need God. He sustains us. Sometimes we get pretty proud of ourselves. We think we're pretty great. That you know, God can't get along without me. But here Paul says that God is not dependent upon you and I. He's the self-sufficient God. But you and I, we're dependent upon God. If we are going to get out of life what God wants us to have. And notice in verse 26, He has made from one man every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Two things here. God set the time when man should live, when you should live. God set the place. He determined where you would be born. He set your time. He set your place. Why did he do that? Verse 28 tells us that we might seek God. Did you know that you're here this morning by divine appointment? You may have thought that uh, you just decided to go to church this morning or this is the normal thing that you do. And it is for most of you. But you know, God determined where you would be born. God determined where you would live. What did you have to do with the time that you were born? Why couldn't you have been born 200 years ago or even a 1,000 years ago? Why couldn't your place of birth been in Africa or India or China? One-fifth of the world's population is there. What did you have to do with it? Not one thing. Not one thing. And this reveals to us 
how really insignificant we are. God who made the world is Lord of heaven and earth. And he set the time that you would be born. And he set the place. And here it says the exact place where you would be born. Oh, you thought you moved to Boise. God controlled those circumstances. God controlled those circumstances. We're really rather insignificant. You know, it's God that gives all men life. Not just existence. The Indians had existence. But now they have life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives life and he gives sustenance. Life and breath. He keeps that life going. And God could withhold that breath and you and I would wither up and die. We're very dependent upon God. He gives life and breath and everything else. How much do you have? Sometimes we think that it's our might, our power, our strength that gains these things. But back in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. What do we have that we really got ourselves? Nothing. We're completely dependent upon God. God's not dependent upon us. That's what religion is. But the Christian faith is that God sustains us, and that we must cast our whole life, our whole self, upon him. So, we find then that we're here by divine appointment. God put us here. God placed us here at this time. Why did he do it? Notice the next verse, 27. That men would seek him. Are you seeking God this morning? If you're not seeking God this morning, then you're not fulfilling God's purpose or God's plan for your life. Why did God put you here at this time? That you might seek Him. Can God be found? Paul goes on to say He can be found. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out to Him and find Him. Though He's not very far from every one of us. You know what Jeremiah says? You shall search for me, and you shall find me when ye seek me with all your heart. If anyone wants to really know God, God will reveal himself to that person. God can be known. God wants to reveal himself to you this morning. He's not far off. The God's of the trios and the YYs. After he had made the YYs, and things were seemingly going pretty good, I guess, he went far off and was never heard of again. And he left the Indians to the ever-present spirits that inhabited the rocks and the mountains and the trees and 
and uh, the rivers and so forth, and that uh, possessed these little bones that were their gods and little stones and chips of wood because uh, their life was controlled by the spirits. If someone got sick, it was a spirit, possibly of something that they'd eaten. And if you had a bone left over from that, uh, you could perform a ceremony, heat rocks, pour water over it, make steam, and wash this bone in that rock, in that steam. And that would break the spell that they had and cause the sick person to get well. So this was their gods. But he went off, the one who really made them, and left them to these ever-present spirits. The trio god, after he'd made the trios, one day he climbed into a big gourd and went floating down the river. The trios never heard of him again. Now, you know, the God that Paul preached and the God of the Bible is a very personal God. He's not far from every one of us. He is a present help in time of trouble. Maybe you think your problems are great, and maybe they are great, but they're not too great for God. God is not far from you. God put you here at this time and at this place that you might seek him. And the promise is he can be found. There is hope. If we will seek God, he can be found. And we'll find that he will be the solution to our problem. If he cared enough about you to determine when you'd be born, where you'd be born, isn't he concerned about every detail of your life? About that problem that you're going through right now? He certainly is. He certainly is. And that's what the next verse tells us in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. For some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul starts out by refuting a false idea here that God lives in the temples that man has made for him. No, God does not live in temples made by man. He isn't served by man's hand. Instead, he's the one who sustains us, and we live in him. If we'll really live, it's the ever-present God that we can live in. And our position in this world may not always be here in Boise, Idaho. And I hope that God will thrust many of you, especially young people, to the ends of the world. But we can be in whatever country it is, Suriname or Germany or China, in Christ. Because God is interested in us there and he is able to take care of us and sustain us down there as well as he can sustain us here. So in him we live and we move and we have our being. Then we go on in verse 29. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think 
We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. You know, the heathen worship gods of stone and silver and gold. But you know, Americans worship gold and silver and precious stones too. Oh, we don't make images out of them. We stamp images on them. And that's what we live for. But you know, Paul's saying, there's something more to life. God didn't put us here to worship gold, silver, and precious stone. God put us here to fulfill his purpose, to meet up with God. And he can be found. He's not far from every one of us. And he tells us then, verse 30 in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Such ignorance. Our leaving God out of our life. God's willing to overlook that. There's forgiveness with God for our past. And you know, that's the only way we can make any any purpose out of this life. If God forgives our past, we've all come short. Some way short. All of us short. But there's forgiveness with God. God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he's declaring... God commands all men everywhere to repent. You know, in this passage we have seven absolutes that Paul describes God. He made everything. He gives life and breath and everything else. He made man from, uh, he made from one man every nation to inhabit the entire earth. And he's not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. He now has commanded all people everywhere. Not just people in Boise to repent. But all people wherever they are. That doesn't exclude one. This is absolute. God is absolute. He's not a puny God made after the offspring of man's vain imagination, where we limit God and think he really doesn't care, he really doesn't know what I'm doing, I can go my own way and do my own thing. He's the omnipotent God. He now commands all men everywhere to repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to change our thinking about sin, to change our thinking about God, and to change our thinking about ourselves. It had to have a different way of thinking. We need to change our thinking about sin. We need to recognize that sin is destroying our lives. We need to change our thinking about God, that God loves us and He cares for us, and He's concerned about everything about us. If he set the place where we were born, the time that we would live, and also the time that we would die, isn't he interested in all that time in between? He certainly is. We need to change our thinking about God. And we need to change our thinking about ourselves. That if we don't turn 
from the way that we're going, we'll perish. That's what repentance says. And so, God has overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by a man He has appointed. And He's given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the day from the dead God has set a day that he's going to judge all men everywhere he set a day for you to be born he set a place for you to be born that you might seek him and now he's commanded all men everywhere to repent to turn from going our own way and go God's way not just with half a heart, but with our whole heart, giving our complete self to Him. And now, if we don't do that, He set a day in which He will judge the world in justice. Oh, it'll be fair. Not what we see going on in some of our courts today. He set a day when He'll judge the world in justice by a man... Jesus Christ, whom he has raised from the dead. And he's given proof to all men that this day of justice is going to come. This day of judgment is going to come. Just as sure as you're sitting here, God set the day for your birth, for your life, the place for you, and also the time of your life here on earth. And he's also set a day of judgment. And he's raised Jesus Christ from the dead to prove that this world someday is going to be judged. Going to be judged in righteousness. You know, that should make us flee to the Savior because there's salvation. God is willing to overlook that which has taken place in our life up to now. He's willing to wipe the slate clean. He's willing to cleanse us and make us his very own people. Such ignorance he's ready to overlook. Now he asks you and I to repent, to change our thinking about sin. It's destroying us. To change our thinking about God. He's all-powerful. He sees everything we do. He's concerned about every detail of our life. He'll hear your prayer. He'll answer you. He'll meet your need. No water's too deep for Him to be with you in and take you through. And change our thinking about ourselves that our real purpose in life is to find God's plan, is to do His will for our life. He said a day when He'll judge the world with justice by a man He's appointed, and He's given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. We're soon to celebrate Easter when we remember the Lord's raising from the dead. But this is also proof that sin will be judged. That all who do not 
trust in Jesus Christ as Savior will be judged. Now what was the response to the people here at Athens? Well, some believed, some didn't. Some mocked, some went away laughing. But there were a few who responded to this message. What has been our response as we've gone to the Indians to declare to them a God who is alive, who's pure, who's holy, who's just? Well, we've seen many of them come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And now as we're looking forward to soon being able to give them the whole New Testament in their language, we're looking forward to also being able to teach them and instruct them what God has to say. Because, you know, they're down there, just like you're here, for the same purpose, to find God, to meet up with Him. And He's not far from every one of us. What problems, what trials have you been going through lately that makes God appear far off? He's not really far off. Oh, sin separates us from God. But God's made a remedy for that. Jesus Christ, the Savior. And if you're not a Christian, you trust Him, He'll remove it. If sins come in and you are a Christian, we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's provision by God for every one of our needs. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that loves us. We thank Thee for what we've seen in Your Word this morning, how that You're vitally interested in each one of us. Now I pray, Lord, that You would search the heart of each one here who's heard Your Word. Father, are they seeking you only half-heartedly? May each one this morning seek you with their whole heart. And Father, we thank thee that you can be found. You are not far off. You're right here. You want to meet with these people this morning. You want to supply their needs. You want to show them that you give sustenance life and breath and all things. May there be hearts here this morning who will reach out to you to find in you all that their heart has really been yearning for all these years. Father, bless these words to these people. And now go with us, some to Sunday school, some to our home, this week. Keep these words in our hearts. And Father, may we fulfill your purpose for our life. For we ask it in Jesus' blessed name with thanksgiving. Amen.